0: The song you will hear in the following episode is the Iphonic remix of This City by Patrick Stump and Lupe Fiasco, copyright 2011 by Sony ATV Publishing. All Cleveland Browns highlights that appear in this episode appear courtesy of the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns radio network. When I woke
1: up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. And what if I told you my-
2: and my city was a threat to the rest. And my city was a threat to the rest. Cleveland it's my city. And I love it. Yeah, I love it. I was born and raised here. I got in there. And if I have my way, I'm gonna stay. To every corner. To every
0: block. Yeah. The 2021 NFL draft for the Cleveland Browns. We have Gregory Newsom the uh-huh. second. Yeah.
2: Forget all the drugs and gangs, corruption, and collusion, No.
3: And pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Cleveland Browns select Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, linebacker of the University of Notre Dame. That's my town where they show you love if they see you around All of my dogs up in the dog pound Man, I love my tribe, my calves, my browns That's my heart Hello everybody and welcome
1: to I'm another episode of I'm the Feeling wrong. Dangerous Podcast I'm your host, Tyler City Johnson show. Show. And we got two of the crew things on good. tonight getting First getting better, up, we got Zach How are you doing today,
2: man? I'm doing good, oh, I'm man pumped hard. to talk I'm with a uh, really special guest I hope you guys are doing well tonight
1: yeah, man, definitely glad. Uh, glad you made it home safely uh, from your vacation. Yes, yes. And, and uh, next up, of course, we got the producer, the man behind the scenes that puts in a lot of time um, off the air. Peter Knapp, how you doing tonight, Pete?
0: Good, good. Glad to be here. We've been we've been rolling with these interviews recently, so it's great. It's great to have all these interviews, and I'm glad to be here and uh, glad to help out. And, and we've got another great guest tonight, so let's get right into it.
1: Yes, sir, ladies and gentlemen. We are joined by film analyst from the OBR. He also hosts the OBR uh, weekly podcast. Jake Burns, how you doing tonight, Jake? I'm great, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you again uh, for joining us tonight. And again, we're just going to dive right on into it. And obviously, you're studying all of these draft picks for the Browns. But we really just wanted to get just some of your thoughts on the, the first three picks uh greg Newsom, jok and anthony schwartz like what do you think the browns are getting in these three guys well i mean i think everybody's probably watched and seen enough from from people whose opinion matter way
4: more than mine does like andrew barry and depot and some of those guys but you know going into this draft greg Newsom and i was a guy that uh, myself and if, if you follow along with the obr we have a great guy Stephen thomas who does draft content who mm-hmm. we really liked i mean you know there's there's a core group of like first two the shertans and the JC Horns and JC Horn was a guy for some odd reason that was kind of being mocked at the end of the first round or at least flirted with the idea of being picked 26 all the way into like I don't know hell February and then people were (laughs) like oh this guy's a really elite athlete he had a 10 RAS score it's like okay yeah he should probably be a top 12 pick and then so that one kind of fell to range and then Caleb Farley's situation got kind of strange with is his back right is it not right he's got Drew Rosenhouse supporting him well, you know, Drew Rosenhaus will support anybody with a money sign attached to their head. So you had to kind of yeah. like be as smart as you could possibly be about that. So it kind of started to feel like Farley and Newsom were going to be interesting players, especially at the 26 spot. But it kind of felt like picks 20, 21, 22, which at the time was Chicago, who had lost Kyle Fuller, uh, the Titans, who would let go of Dory Jackson, really don't have much a corner at all. And then I'm um, blanking, maybe the Colts, I think, were picked 22 all three of those teams were like, that's where probably a corner to go and we're not going to get there. So when Newsom fell to 26, it was like, perfect, man. That is a fit as uh, a fit can be because the, the great quote that Andrew Barry had, which is that he is sort of scheme uh, diverse. I think he used an even fancy, uh, fancier name. Uh, is, did he say esoteric? I can't remember. He was, it was really great. He said, he was, yeah, it's, essentially he has scheme diversity, which is great. He can, he can, or scheme agnostic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. That's what it was, yeah. I don't know, man. Don't quote me on this. Yeah, no, don't you're right. Me you're Come right. Back me. <laughs> he played in his own defense, but he's more suited from a skill set standpoint as a man-to-man mirror cover corner. Like, he can do all those things. He played in Northwestern, which is a pretty similar NFL-level defense where they where they teach concepts uh, very similar to what a lot of NFL teams do. So he has that background. Obviously, his background and, and proven ability to play as a man-to-man corner and his really great hip turns. He can play that mirror role where he's not jamming people to the line of scrimmage. Uh, you like him a lot. The only concern, we, we've all talked about them, is the, is the injury issue. Can he stay healthy? The good thing is there's not any real serious knee tears or just nagging little things that popped up. So what you hope is he uh, can overcome that issue, kind of find something in Cleveland that can help him stabilize some areas of, that have given him some concern hamstrings groins get those things figured out so that those soft tissue injuries don't become a problem because if he's a good player on the field he's good he's he can be a very good player and the good thing is is that a lot of first round corners guys come in and fail because they're asked to be the guy which if you look at a lot of these other picks are tan horn farley those guys are going to be asked to be the guy where they're going cover number one receivers all the time do that stuff right away. That's not what Greg Newsom's going to have to deal with when you have Denzel on the roster. He's going to get the tough covers. So there's a little bit of that relaxation part of things, and then, like, you know, Greedy Williams is around, too, and if Greedy, you know, we hope, everyone hopes Greedy can come back and play, there's just less pressure on Greg, which I think helps because uh, that position is a real trial-by-fire trial by position. So, obviously, uh, I think that, that Greg was a great pick. And then... JOK is crazy. How many times have we seen – I'm trying to think of like like a Miles Jack slips to the second round or something – or um, Jalen Smith, right, slips to the second round. And it's like yeah. that guy's gone at like pick 32, 30 – sorry, pick 33, 34, 35. Like In the 30s, he's gone every single time. So he's hanging around, and it's like, okay, I kind of see where some teams could have concern about if their defense has that role for him. Okay, okay. I mean, it's kind of a modern role, uh, yeah. whatever. Uh, I guess you could talk about the hard issue stuff that's come out since. It's like, you know, okay, if if, if the kid is willing to play, he, he's been cleared by doctors at Notre Dame. He's been cleared to play like he's going to play. So I, I don't know, man. You'd have to talk to a lot of other teams. Maybe they're a little afraid of the size issue, they didn't play in the box enough for them to feel comfortable as a box linebacker in the NFL, but he kept slipping. And it's like, man, are they going to go up and get him because – they should. And then they go up to 52. And it's like, okay, interesting. How many times in our lives have we watched the Browns make a trade up or something? And we're like, or be up at an important posi- position to pick a good player. And you're sitting there thinking, they're going to take this guy and they, they take somebody completely different. did we me talked about. That, ha- that happened so many times in my lifetime. For them to go up and get him and for him, them to have two years of second round picks in a row, which I think Grant Delpit can be a if he if he gets healthy and he comes back a serious injury, can be a great player. JOK can be an, another great, fantastic second round pick. A guy who was valued by smarter draft minds than myself, uh, obviously, as as a first round talent, quality player. So he can he can cover the curl flat like crazy. He plays a physical brand of football off the edge. He's got some edge rushing skills. When you walk him down and bring him off the edge, as a true as a true seven tech, like he can do some stuff, man. And he's. He can run with people in the slot. I think that's the biggest thing people are going to be like, oh, okay. He can hang with that guy in the slot running, you know, a, a 12-yard sale. Like, he can do those things. Yeah. And it's a rare blend of skills. Now, again, it's a threatening role because you got to think, too, the year before Isaiah Simmons goes top 10. Did he go mm-hmm. 10? I think yep. he was top 10. Now, Isaiah Simmons was a size speed freak. JOK not as big. But – the thing that I say is that Isaiah Simmons is a better athlete. J O K is a better football player. Yeah. And I think that people got a little nervous about that and it caused him to slip and then when he when he got into a range of like thirty eight to forty eight, nobody wanted that player specifically. So he just kept falling. And Cleveland did the smart thing, man, going up and getting him and all all they had to do to go get him was swap picks like swap positions in the just same draft? You don't have to give up any draft capital. So mm-hmm. a lot of people, myself included, I view it as they got two first round skilled players. So I was like, Joe, okay, Anthony Schwartz is a speed demon, man, and we all talk. I mean, there, there are some guys that they passed on. I think people were a little surprised they passed on to take Schwartz there. But what you have to look for is it around the nineties to pick one hundred and beyond. What skill? can a guy lean on to make an impact in the NFL? And Anthony Schwartz has, has a rare top-end speed, and that is that is what the calling card is for. Me. And it's a good fit for what Cleveland needs, too. He's not inexperienced doing the things they need him to do, jet sweep, fly sweeps, taking to top-off defenses, running post, running from the slot, getting vertical. Those things he can bring the Browns' need. So it's a fit, but they also see a level of untapped potential in a guy who has to just kind of figure out the nuances of, of route running has to kind of figure out how to throttle down from. He's like a Ferrari that doesn't always find second and third gear when he needs to to make his top gear the most impressive, right? So mm-hmm. that's what he has to figure out. And if you watched building the Browns the other day, they were talking to Anthony about, hey, this is the specific route that we were talking about. We think you can kill him this route, but here's what you got to do. Here's how you got to kind of throttle it down and get <laughs> to this spot, then take off. There's going to be so much of that coaching for him. Uh, The good thing is, though, they can tell him, hey, man, get on the field and run really fast from A to B, and he can do it. And he can do it at a speed at which not many people in in the world can do it so that's an exciting part of things.
1: Yeah definitely no doubt about that. I'm very intrigued with Anthony Schwartz and I know a big thing that he's having to work on right now is route running and he's learning from one of the best in the game in Jarvis Landry so I think he's going to end up having a very solid career here in Cleveland and with Newsome and JOK like you mentioned you you view them both as being first round picks basically for the Browns just with the talent that they're bringing in who do you think ends up having the bigger impact as a rookie this year they're both going to play a lot who do you think Ends up making a bigger impact. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing,
4: obviously. They, they both could have an equal impact because those two are guys that I don't think they have to play. I was just talking about this with Lane on our podcast a minute ago. They don't have to play, but they should because they're good enough. Um, the good part is the Browns draft is like, not, hey, we have to throw this rookie into the fire right away. It's now to a point where they can say, okay, we think they can. Uh, I would say Greg Newsom has the biggest avenue to immediate playing time. I think they want to get Jacob Phillips, Anthony Walker on the field. I think they obviously like Malcolm Smith. I think JOK is going to be really good, and and I think he's going to play. But will he get the same number of snaps as somebody like Greg Newsom if Greg Newsom earns a starting role? I think Greg will. So if I had to guess, I would say Greg Newsom. But listen, that's a guess. I think they could have an equal impact because I think both could could really be full-time starters by the end of their rookie season. Yeah, and we've
1: asked other guests the same question, so we're curious on your answer as well. Outside of JOK and Newsom, who do you think – have the biggest impact for the Browns as a rookie.
4: Well, I mean, easy answer is Schwartz because he should have an impact. I think they, there's a desire to do the things that he does well that they want to add those things to their offense. So that should be the answer. Uh, but if you if you made me answer somebody outside of the top three that we've talked about, I don't think James Hudson plays a ton year one. I don't think. Richie LeCount plays a ton year one. Dimitri Felton's kind of fighting for running back three. Tommy Togiai has an opportunity mm-hmm. uh, amongst some defensive interior, I, I guess the way to put it is in instability, to earn a role and make an impact there. And I think he can do that. So if I had to guess, I would go there. Uh, Tony Fields would be a little behind the ball with the foot injury and some things like that. And it's just hard for me to say that he's going to have an impact right away. But I, if I had to guess outside of those two, I'd say Schwartz. But if you want to uh, off the beaten path a little bit there, Tommy Togai has a path to if he shows out in camp and has a great preseason and earns a role, he could play a good amount of snaps.
1: Yeah, and as far as like the rookie signings, obviously, we haven't signed um, Newsom, JOK, or Swartz yet, but we have signed James Hudson. And I was watching you guys um, with your drive live draft show, and pretty much with that, you guys seemed a little surprised when they took James Hudson. At, at at um in the fourth round there. So what do you think the Browns are getting in James Hudson now that you've had a little time to study him as a prospect?
4: Yeah, a great athlete for the position. I think he moves well. I think he didn't test great, but I think he really is an on-field player that moves well and has uh, is, is, is light feet. But he, he plays with a physical brain. He plays with a defensive mindset at the position. If you know his background, he was a defensive lineman out of Michigan. Uh, sorry, out of Toledo, uh, originally, uh, and then and then went to Michigan to play D-line, moved over to offensive line, transferred out of Michigan to Cincinnati. Uh, the ability to play right or left tackle uh, has good enough feet. It, like I said, has strong hands and has a nasty demeanor to him. I think there's technique things he has to clear up, kind of where his feet go and his drop. When he gets to his drop, timing up where he's delivering his hands, and if he doesn't have the, the right... Uh, window to deliver hands, kind of how he can mirror people to eliminate inside leak on protection. Uh, what I mean by that is a guy beating him to the inside with some sort of double move or swim move or something like that. He struggled with that a little bit. But, you know, if you watched, uh, again, I keep referencing it, but it was just such a unique look at the Browns rookies and how they're going through this process, that building the Browns episode. Getting that one-on-one time with Scott Peters and Bill Callahan is, is, is irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. Like, that is just rare to get that time with, people that good at coaching that position because uh, so often you would see five or six rookie O-linemen come in and, and, and guys off the street that are trying out and you wouldn't have that opportunity to have singular focused attention uh, without, I guess, without a coach feeling that, right? Uh, so he's he's he he has to take advantage, and that's good for him. He needs that stuff badly because there's there's already a good enough framework there that I think it's an exciting down the road offensive lineman for them.
1: Next, really, I have a question about to- Tony Fields' pick. I know that um, Brad was talking about that the Browns have had a lot of interest in Tony Fields. I mean, going back to the Senior Bowl and re- just they were really interested in Tony Fields. But you're getting to fifth fifth round pick, sixth round pick. Um, as well, even with uh, Demetri Felton and Richard Le- LeCount as well. Do you think these guys have the talent to make the roster? Because for the first time in how, I don't even know how many years it's been, the Browns are going to have to cut some pretty good football players here. Do you think all three of these guys can make the roster? Of course. Of course they can. Yeah, I mean, Richie LeCount is – if you haven't had a
4: chance to listen to my podcast with Jeff Stentel, who does a great job down in Georgia, Dogs Nation, like that guy was a real – bonafide fide, like legend in Georgia, like and that's mm-hmm. not obviously a weak college football program. As far as being the spearheaded, uh, the spearhead of turning that recruiting in the state around, all of those things, Richard LeCount was is a big part of. While while again the testing wasn't great, I think he's got a real chance to be a player, uh, especially if he gets to play some center field safety opportunities because I think that's where he excelled before. He started doing more split safety stuff his senior year, so I think he's got a he's got a real chance. He's going to be competing with Sheldrick Redwine for that role. I like his confidence more than I like what I've seen from Sheldrick Redwine. I think I, I like his instincts a little bit more as he starts his career. he's going to be a, a backup depth player, but could be more. Could be more down the line, and I think he'll buy into doing the specialty stuff. Tony Fields again, uh, instinctual player. I think he does fine. He's played a little bit of Will and Mike. He played Will at Arizona before he transferred his last year to West Virginia. He played Mike. Uh, he, he's okay. I think he's just okay. Like that's also okay, right? Like you don't have to be great as long as he's not bad. And I don't think he's bad. I think he, he's he's solid at sifting through traffic along the interior. He's got enough speed to play a little bit sideline to sideline here and there where he'll track a guy down. Well, he's got some tackling issues where he doesn't consistently get people to the ground, but he plays hard. He gets to the right spots. He's He's, he's okay enough in coverage in terms of what the position requires. He's not a grass dropper. He'll, he'll hunt routes. He'll seek out combinations of routes and try to play them. Uh, but he's not an exceptionally great athlete, and he's not really big. So it's like there's a route to see where Tony Fields fails. But if he can pick up the role they want him to play and sort of be that understudy of Malcolm Smith and kind of fill that role over time, you can see it working. He'll have to fight. He's got the foot injury. He's got some things going on. He's going to have to fight for a role, uh, a roster spot and then for a role from there. Demetric Felton, I don't know, man. I don't know how that guy got to the sixth round. He's pretty dang good. I mean, for all things considered, I don't know if it's a Pac-12 thing. I, I don't know. But I think he's got a rare skill set there of, of receiver know-how, a receiver experience, but with enough running back ability that He's going to be fighting with, and Dearness Johnson's a a nice player as a third running back, but I think what Felton can bring from the pass, catch, kick, return, also run game experience too, he's going to really challenge for that role, and he's probably got a leg up. You know, he's got a fresh rookie contract, and that matters. I think all three of them should make this roster. I'm not trying to exaggerate that. They should make the roster because the bottom of the Browns roster was not good enough last year, and plus they let guys go. Tavarius Thomas... Terrence Terrence Mitchell, like they've got some guys left too, so they there's opportunities to to find football. And Tony Fields, like if Mac Wilson doesn't show up and play the way he needs to play, like again there there's real opportunity for these youngsters to make the roster.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm really intrigued. Defensive tackle Marvin Wilson felt like we were getting a later round draft pick there. Why do you think? He ended up not being drafted because when you look at this guy on tape, he was dominating at Florida State pretty much up until this season. And I feel like this year it just was a combination of just not having a lot of talent at Florida State, but also maybe he was battling some injury as well. What do you think is the reason that he went undrafted? Uh, I've had some
4: conversations about this. Injuries were a part of it. He did not. He did not. Well, He's have a good year, and injuries were part of the end of the season where where mid to end and where he really struggled, that was pretty obvious to see. But there was a disconnect between this coaching staff that they brought in, Mike Norvell, and if you recall some of the early season stuff with George Floyd was going on, and Marvin kind of called his coaching staff out for it. And And, and again, if you want to hear an in-depth breakdown, I had a guy named irish shuffle on my podcast i'm not trying to do the cross-brand stuff here i'm no, just saying like even. this guy this guy tells the story way better than i do on, on and i did draft deep dives and i think it was part two where i had him on for all of the late round picks and then marvin as well because i think we do you're right you view him as a as a potential guy there so he has the potential can his lower body hold up as he, he there are there are snaps on film in like 2019 2018 where he's dominating really good players makai Beckton and louisville uh, he can he can play. It's just a matter of is he healthy enough? Is his lower body going to withstand it? Can he can he play with a mean streak he needs to play with, and can he be consistent with that high level ability that we've seen from time to time? That's what the Browns want to see, and they're willing to pay to risk to see it. So I think there's something there with Marvin. But how driven is he? How passionate is he? How locked in? Uh, all of that stuff will determine his. I think, but there's no better position right now to be in. To make the roster, because I think everybody's on a level playing field in that defensive line room. I mean, they invest in Malik Jackson, but, like, Andrew Billings sat out last year. He's coming in fresh. That's a new That's a new face, you know. Jordan mm. Elliott, disappointing his first year. That's He's got everything in the world still to prove. And then down to Tommy and
2: all of them. Like, there's just an open competition there. What free agents do you think the Browns fans should be most excited about?
4: It's John Johnson. He's great. He's He's, he's such a... He's, I couldn't even, I didn't, when I predicted free agents, I didn't even want to put him on there because I just thought like, there's no way that they're going to land this dude, but they did. And he's phenomenal. He's a great person. He's a great leader. He's a temperature raising person, leader, presence, all of it. Can call your defense, can play near the box. Will come up and tackle. Will cover people in the back half when he needs to. Can be a split safety. Can cover tight ends. Gave George Kittle fits. Like you should be really excited about John Johnson. I think he's going to be really good here.
2: Yeah, and I I know a lot of people are just shocked when they saw the price tag we got him for too, because he was probably what the the top safety coming out of this free agent class
4: without a doubt. I don't even yeah. think it was very close. It's just I I think that there's a lot of hesitancy with this this free agency because of the tight cap, and if mm-hmm. he would have been a free agent next offseason, he would have gotten a lot more. So the Browns. Right time, right place, right person.
2: Yeah, and some teams still, they still overspent, in my opinion, like Trey Hendrickson, you know, teams overspent on a lot of players. The Browns have finally, like, have a good team to the point where, you know, we're going to have to cut some very, very good players. And I want to know your thoughts, Jake. Who do you think some some, some excuse me some surprise cuts might be coming on this offseason?
4: The end of the wide receiver room is going to be interesting. Donovan Peoples-Jones, who we all like enough, he's fighting for a job. Kaderil Hodge is fighting for a job. Uh, if Anthony Schwartz is absolutely terrible, I don't see that happening. But if he's absolutely terrible, I mean, I'm just saying, like, outside of the top three, and then you would throw Schwartz into four, like Adaro Hodge and 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 Donovan Peoples Jones. Those guys are fighting for jobs because it's they don't they don't play a ton of wide receivers anyway, so you need to prove your worth there. And um, we'll see. I, I'm not sure how that'll shake out, but but that's an area where I could see a surprise. Somebody like Drew Four. I mean, I think Drew Forbes is good. I I, I just. They, they, they got Michael Dunn, who I thought Michael Dunn was really good last year in the wild card game. He mm-hmm. played Cam Hayward tough. Uh, they, they, they have Nick Harris. Like I guess Nick Harris could be the, – the, the fringe of the offensive line room is going to be compelling to me. Uh, Malcolm Smith, even though they brought Malcolm Smith back, if they want to keep the young guys and maybe they really like Mac Wilson as a team-first guy who could play special teams – that's a guy they might want to keep around, and at that expense, they say we don't maybe need the Malcolm Smith role because we have Jacob Phillips, we have Tony Fields, we have JOK, that sort of thing. Because you got to remember, they signed him back before the draft. Or when you go into the draft, you don't want to have anything you're reaching for. So that's an interesting spot there, too. I, I'm, I don't know if there's any other huge surprise names. I mean, like I mentioned, Shardick Redwine could be on the fringe there, too. I, I don't think we're going to see somebody crazy like, I guess if Greedy Williams' shoulder is just terrible and it doesn't even look remotely right, there's a chance they could just cut bait, you know? Like, if yeah. it's, he shows up and it's terrible and it's not going to get any better, there might just be a we-can't-have-you-on-the-roster-anymore scenario there. So, uh, just something to consider, but... Uh, there'll be guys that have been like those mid-round picks over the last three years that are going to be fighting for roles now that they haven't solidified so that's what I'm paying
1: Jake and uh, another question that I had as far as a possible surprise cut here and I I don't have anything against the guy personally I think he still has some talent but we didn't really see a lot out of Jordan Elliott last year that really like got me excited about this guy for the for future defensive tackle, is he another guy? Given the depth that we have at defensive tackle and the level of competition there, could he be a surprise cut as well? Even though it's only a second year with the team, hundred percent. I I, <laughs> I wrote up Jordan Elliott's rookie film room and I was just not impressed. I don't know what his
4: trait is that helps him get to get to a to b in the NFL. I thought he slow off the snap. I didn't think he was in great shape. I just didn't love him. I didn't I didn't love his film at Missouri. I mean, I know Pro Football Focus graded him really well. But I just don't see it right now. I don't think they give up on him unless he comes to camp and is like Chad Thomas level of like disrespect, out of shape type of yeah. stuff. I just I think he'll get another year, but it's hard for me after watching him one year to see like at least with like guys who make it long term in the league, you see like, okay, that's a flash right there. Like Larry Oganjovi had a ton of flashes this rookie year. I didn't see any of that mm-hmm. from Jordan Elliott. I'm not high on Jordan Elliott. Can he turn it around? Of course, I'm hoping he does. But I'm, I, if he got cut, I would be zero zero percent surprised.
0: We've asked uh, several of the guests that we've had on uh, this question, and and that is how Baker Mayfield kind of ranks in relationship to the rest of the quarterbacks. When talking about Baker Mayfield, it seems like there are two camps: either Baker Mayfield can't do anything wrong, you know, or Baker Mayfield can't do anything right to satisfy people you know there's two camps when it comes to baker, uh, baker mayfield so where do you think baker mayfield ranks in terms of top quarterbacks and what and what do you think uh and uh, and what do you think if anything he needs to uh potentially uh try to uh, try to improve on this year uh, going into this season
4: you couldn't be more right about the two camps thing like there is a contingency of people who are cleveland brown supporters who Absolutely love the guy, and then they're, they're they're unwilling to accept any fair criticism. And then there's <laughs> mm-hmm. a faction of Twitter of people that cover the league who just don't think he does anything that is redeemable that is mm-hmm. uh, that is not above replacement level. So there, there's two camps there.
0: Colin Coward,
4: uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot, man. There's a lot, and I'm not not just mainstream guys, but guys who have. You know, carry, carry league-wide weight and social media will do the mm. same, too. I think you can win with Baker Mayfield right now. I think he does enough things well that you can win with him. I think you need to surround him with talent, which they have done. Major credit to the Browns for finally creating an environment where he has enough people around him to help him and make him uh, and to, to effectively use his skill set the way it needs to be used because a lot of teams don't ever get there. Now, on the same token, they have done him a disservice. His first two years of keeping a lame duck head coach's rookie season, trying to sit him without any any chance of starting right away, uh, hiring Hugh that hey, hiring Todd Haley who hated Hugh, who just made that a whole season a mess. His second year, it was pretty clear now that Freddie Kitchens was never meant to handle a coaching staff at any level. Freddie's a good guy, but just cannot be a head coach at the, the important levels of football. That led to so much malcontent, that led to so much inner turmoil that year two was a disaster. So finally you see year three where he has structure, talent around him, and I think he made nice strides. So it's gonna be the the, the verdict is still way out on Baker. I think there are some people who are like you the crux of your question here that are way too low on him. And then there are some people that are way too high on him. He still has an immense amount to prove that he can handle big moments that he can handle crowds in his ear on the road when it matters that he can handle big moments when the pressure's on top of him, that he can handle bringing his team from behind, like and being the reason his team consistently is able to come from behind and win football games. Like he's yeah. got to prove all of that. And, um, but, but at the same time, the Browns have alleviated the way they've structured things and the people they brought in, they've alleviated the stress by which he has to perform. So that helps. So, mm-hmm. listen, man, we can all kind of make a proclamation. He's He played the last two-thirds of last year as a top-ten quarterback, I think, uh, in the NFL, which is what you want him to be. I think he can be. But his first third of the season was rocky, like like 20 to 25th. And we can't see that. So he needs to – the thing Baker has to continue to show is what makes the best of the best in the NFL, and that's consistency with their level of play. You, if he's consistently bad, then that's who he is. If he's consistently good, and he wants to be considered consistently good—a top ten, top eight, top five name—he has to do it over not two thirds of a season, but multiple seasons in a row. So people and when I woke up this morning. I was feeling pretty dangerous. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, right. So people, people have to, feed, you know, they have to pump the brakes on trying to to label his career. He's still got time to prove things. We'll see what happens year four because that ultimately is going to see sort of settle his his eventual value for a contract. That's going to be the most interesting thing, but um, he, he's he's fine right now. The Browns can win with him, and what they want to see this year, and I started to think that they were creeping into last year, was winning because of him. We'll yeah. see if he can keep doing more of that this year.
0: Yeah, sorry. I was, trying to, I was trying to time that with the end of your answer, but it didn't work out. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I
4: was like, who's who's dangerous? What's going on here? No. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. And when I woke up this
2: morning I was feeling pretty dangerous. I mean, we had a previous guest on Jeff Lloyd, and he was talking about how we could potentially see this four thousand yard season now from Baker, that MVP caliber type of season. But in in the honest opinion of Browns fans, do we need to see those kind of seasons out of Baker and this the fancy's offense?
4: Well, I mean, you could.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
4: Maybe maybe they want that. I don't I don't know. they they started to put more on Baker's shoulders the last half of last year, and maybe that's what they want to do full time more often. Does I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw MVP proclamations. Not gonna mm-hmm. tell me I spoke four thousand yards. Like it could happen, but that's not what I would not want anybody to expect going into this yeah. year. Just they don't want to play that way all the time, and that's not because of Baker. That's because they drafted Nick Chubb, and they have mm-hmm. a really nice structure up front, and they have Kareem Hunt on a cheap deal, like. They, that doesn't mean they're, they're going to go into each week, how do we win this football game? Okay, these guys can't handle gap schemes. We're going to run the football like crazy. These guys actually have pretty good solid run defense. We feel like we need to take advantage of their linebacker issues and coverage. Let's take advantage. It's going to be week to week. Like The Browns are going to adjust what they do because they have the ability to do that. Some teams don't have the ability to do that. They have to play their brand of offensive football all the time. The, the Browns are in this rare position where they have so much skill on offense, I think, for the most part that they can play to how they think they can beat an opponent week to week. So mm-hmm. Baker Baker could, could push toward 4,000 yards, or they could keep him around the same number he had last year, and he just keeps uh, growing in efficiency. you got to think, too, they had three terrible weather games that really didn't allow them to throw it as much as they would like to. So uh, he'll get opportunities, there's no doubt. Yeah.
1: And, Jake, I would bring this up on Twitter, and I would take some heat for it from time to time because – Part of me believes it, and part of me is still optimistic that these guys can grow together. You've looked at both Baker and OBJ. You've studied them as well. It looks like when OBJ's been here, Baker Mayfield has not played his best, whether that could be because of Freddie Kitchen's offense or maybe they just don't have that type of chemistry together. I mean, do you think this is the year that Baker and OBJ find that groove? Or is it just one of those things to where these are two guys that their skill sets just don't match up with one another? Jury's still out.
4: You could really blame the first year on, on everything that was going on top to bottom and, and pinpointed there. And Baker isn't the same quarterback. You, you didn't get enough time this last year to really see what they could become. Is it sits right now? They have not figured it out together. Could that keep up? absolutely there's no doubt that we could look at the end of this third year in Odell's time in Cleveland and be like we have no real answer for why these two couldn't figure it out but they couldn't and sometimes it's like a pairing of basketball guys you know stars that they just don't they don't work together for any number of reasons they don't work together and um, we can look at that at the end of next year I don't really want to dive too deep into it because it's so much conjecture and it gets people really sensitive and and uh, it's, it's just – there's no denying, though, that they haven't figured it out. And the data is far better for Baker without Odell. Is that Odell's fault? I don't think so. Is that Baker's fault? I don't think so. I think sometimes guys just don't mesh. And it could it could reverse course, but it could also stay on the same level that it's currently at, which would be a problem. And so they the, the, the big thing is that they better. <laughs> if they yeah. want to keep playing together – for what Odell's set to make in 2022, based on his current contract, if they want to keep playing together, they better. If it doesn't work out and they're not producing for, for Odell at the level that he needs to produce to justify the money, then we're probably going to see the end of that run. We'll see how healthy Odell comes back and all that stuff. But there's there's also, guys, continuity in an offense that helps, too. Like, that stuff matters. Keeping yeah. the same structure. Keeping the same play calling uh, you know, verbiage. Keeping the same conceptual route understanding the same how are you going to run a 10 yard out in this offense as compared to another offense structure that stuff helps so baker will have more of that time with odell hopefully to get on the same page and i think baker became a more confident quarterback in the nfl by the end of last season too this version of baker that we saw by the end of the season is probably the best version of Baker ready to handle somebody like OBJ and get him the football. So we'll hope that that manifests next year.
2: Yeah, and the thing that confuses me most, Jake, is Baker seems like that type of quarterback where you can put anyone around him and he's just going get, to get them the ball exactly where it needs to be. So do you think that OBJ could potentially like be like an improvised wide receiver where he like runs his own routes based off what he sees in the defense? I don't know that
4: he's he runs his own routes. I think he has a way of playing the position that it leads to a little bit more movement than other wide receivers, a little bit more uh, dead lagging or deceptive things that he does to try to create separation and Baker and Baker's very timing oriented too. Mm -hmm. like that. That is also a big thing. So the two of them, the more reps they get, I think the better they can be. The question is, do they have enough reps to get there? You know, like Mm -hmm. that's, that's the big question. I don't think it's like a Baker can't throw the ball. He can throw the ball to Shark Higgins. He can throw it to Odell. It's just they have to figure out what spots to put Odell to jive with Baker and kind of figure out ways to give Odell opportunities because it's Kevin's first year with Odell last year too about what makes him tick. And just about the time Baker started to find a way to make it tick, Odell gets hurt. So it's like maybe that was a time approaching the bye week that they get on the same page about what they all like to do and what they're most comfortable doing. And we could have seen a much better version of Odell. So it's a lot, again, a lot of conjecture. We'll see. This year, is it's nice because I know it's, it's tough to talk about it leading up to it, but you do actually get an answer on
1: that question this year. Yeah, you definitely do. And I think it's going to be really interesting just to see if OBJ is even healthy come week one. I think that's still kind of a question mark. I mean, he's he looks good in the videos we've seen, but, I mean, it's coming off another severe knee injury. And the wide receiver room in general, there are so many questions uh, about that wide receiver room after this season, and Browns fans really don't like to talk about it. Uh, obviously just because they love this team and they love OBJ and Jarvis, but they're both making a ton of money. And who do you think past this season is more likely to be here long-term, OBJ or Juice? Because personally, I don't see both of them being here, at least after this year.
4: Um, Good question. I mean, Jarvis has just consistently played, so the answer is him. Uh, he's consistently been on the field. He's He's not – a great athlete but he's been on the field he makes plays for the most part and and that matters if they have the best ability abail, the best ability is availability right and you have mm-hmm. to be on the field and so you would probably guess that Jarvis is right now because he's more connected to Cleveland than general and all that stuff but that the more talented receiver if he comes back this year and proves he can cut and run and puts <laughs> up a puts up a better season then definitely they'll have an opportunity to see if they can figure it out with him my guess is this is probably not going to be fun for I think both are gone. It's just, yeah. I just kind of view them as a package deal at this point, And I think that they're going to try to restructure that room. That's my guess, not because I don't want them here, uh, but just, it's a guess right now, but if they both play really well, maybe they will be back. Maybe they can restructure those two and be back for one more run at it. If the year goes as well as some of us hope it does. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess my point is less predicting they both will be here or they both will be here and more like they're a package deal to me. So whatever one does, I think they'll, they'll end up doing something similar with the other. Hmm.
1: See, so, yeah, I would agree with that as well. I could easily see them both not being here, and I think it has to go back to just the contract extensions we have coming up. Would you see them pretty much cutting bait with both of them, and then obviously you re-sign Baker? You could possibly re-sign, obviously, Nick Chubb, Denzel Ward, and White Teller. Do you, do you see that being the reason that they would restructure those guys or cut one of those guys basically just to, f- to help fund those contract extensions coming up? Well, sure. I mean, you have to produce for
4: what you're being paid. I think we saw that with Sheldon Richardson above all else if you're not producing to your level of cap hit you're going to probably be shipped out it's just the nature of the business so if those guys do move on yeah makes signing Wyatt and makes signing nick make signing denzel a thing that could happen you got to think too a large chunk of cap is going to be eaten up by the quarterback and we all think can be pretty good too so there's a lot going on there but they will not invest 30 million in two wide receivers in the future i can mm-hmm. promise you that
1: yeah and the, the biggest the final question we really have here it's about nick chubb i mean being here long term this is the analytics driven front office and obviously it's going to be very interesting to see how they value the running back position they signed kareem hunt to a pretty team-friendly deal nick chubb he's going to be up for a big payday here coming up soon how do you think the front office is going to handle his contract situation uh
4: i've been pretty firm on the belief that nick chubb will be here they'll sign him they'll give him money they they every elite back i know we talked well about the browns in and the end i'm not mocking you but this general thing like the Browns are this analytical front office. They will. The Browns also make football decisions. They've they've proven yeah. they'll go against the grain to make football decisions. And Nick Chubb is one of them. Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Aaron Jones, Dalvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook. They have all been paid. Why would you be the first to not pay your guy when it's Nick Chubb? Just come on, man. This suit is yeah. way too good. He's way too nuanced at the position. He is, I like Kareem pro football focus ranks him as the 10th best back in the league. And I think Nick is infinitely better than Kareem. And I I think he can catch the football a little bit better than he's given credit for. So (laughs) I just think he's really good and I'll believe they're going to let him hit the open market. When I, when I see it, Do, do they try to buy out a couple years and pay him early here? Um, maybe, they, maybe they get into entertaining that this summer or maybe they let the market set his value and kind of let him hit that sort of uh, restricted level where somebody can offer him and they'll match it or give him a little bit more based on what someone out there offers him. There's no, I shouldn't say uh, an ultimatum, but if I would be jaw-droppingly surprised if the Browns let Nick Chubb go without getting him some sort of additional years. Uh, other than his rookie contract because I think he's that good and he's important to this offense and this this locker room, all of it, and, and I think he will be given some sort of second deal in Cleveland.
1: And to piggyback off of that, we we asked uh, Jeff a similar question. Jeff Lloyd a similar question about Nick Chubb, and he thinks they could possibly use a franchise tag on him. Could you see that possibility as well, as far as giving him like that one year deal? Yeah, they could. I would. I don't think Nick would appreciate that. I don't think the Browns want to do that because
4: nobody likes playing on a franchise tag. I think it's really crummy for the player. I think it's really crummy for um, the morale of. Players trying to get paid as well. I guess they could do it if they have no other option uh, and they they want to sign Baker and Denzel and Wyatt and, and whatever. But like, I just don't love the idea of franchise tagging him. I think you let Kareem go. You have Demetrius Felton be the next guy there for that kind of role, and then you pay Nick. I just think that that's the most logical course of action. You pay him. You can buy. You can buy out one year of his rookie deal this year and, and pay him a little bit early. That's what I would do. But uh, I don't know. We'll see what they ultimately want to do. But I, I, it could happen. And I'm not calling Jeff wrong. It could happen. I just don't want to see it happen.
1: Yeah. And Jake, uh, to really, to finish things off here, we want to make sure that we give you the opportunity to let people know where they can find your work and uh, listen to your podcast as well.
4: Yeah. I mean, I'm at the OBR, uh, which is our, our website. And, and you can you can join us there. It's just a dollar for your first month, a couple bucks more after that. I couldn't even tell you to be honest. <laughs> They have a great deal going where you get, I think, Paramount Plus if you do a subscription with us, which is pretty cool because you, you know, you probably pay for that stuff anyway. Might as well get some brown stuff with it. Um, so the OBR, then we do a nightly film breakdown podcast, whether. Um, that's called the OBR Film Breakdown I put that up on our audio podcast feed every night sometimes we live stream it four or five nights a week we'll live stream it up on our YouTube
1: channel as well and then I'm at Jake underscore Burns 18 on Twitter find me there All right, awesome well Jake thanks again uh, for your time this evening we really appreciate it and guys uh, more importantly uh, be sure to listen to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcast be sure to give us that five star review really appreciate you guys listening to us every week and we're trying to bring on more great guests like Jake to give you awesome Browns content every week, be sure to follow our new Instagram page at fd podcast cle. That's brand new; had it up, had it up about a week and a half and nearly a hundred followers. So appreciate you guys supporting that. Also, be sure to like our new Facebook page, The Feeling Dangerous Podcast, and our Twitter account at um, fd podcast cle. And I want you guys to remember this: once we get up to two thousand followers we'll be giving you guys away a Browns jersey. So uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter. And we are the Feeling Dangerous Podcast, and we will see you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in. Now what if I told you my city
2: was the best and my city was a threat to the rest? And my city was a threat to the rest. Cleveland is my city and I love it yeah, I love it. I was born in I got it, made it. And if I have my way, I'm
3: gonna stay. James Conner in the backfield on the right side of Big Ben. Motion by the tight end, McDonald down the line, left to right, and the snap goes high over the head of Big Ben, all the way back to the two to the one, and the Browns have it in the end zone, and they dive on the ball and recover it for a touchdown! Joseph's got it in the end zone. A touchdown.
0: Not a bad start.
3: Six-nothing Browns. Marquise Bouncy just sailed the ball over the head of Big Ben, who looked at James Conner. They raced back towards inside the five-yard line. It went into the end zone. B.J. Goodson and Carl Joseph were over there, and Joseph recovers it. I was I got it Mayfield under center on first down and ten. Takes the ball, gives it. Hunt runs. He's to the ten. He's to the five. He buries that shoulder and drives in for a touchdown. Kareem Hunt and the Bronx lead 20 to nothing. You're Cleveland bound. That's my town where they show you love it. They seen you around. All of my dogs up in the dog pound. Man, I love my tribe, my calves, my browns. That's my heart. That's my soul.